In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's a phrase that we hear over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those are the patriarchs. And in our gospel lesson for today, we have a story about forgiveness. But in the Old Testament lesson, we have a great story about forgiveness as too. And that is, now Jacob, the last of the patriarchs, has just died. And at this point, the ten brothers from his first wife, Leah, uh, come to Joseph from the other wife, Rachel, and say, uh, by the way, uh, before he died, Dad told us that you're not supposed to take out revenge on us for the, you know, the evil that we did to you earlier, which sounds pretty self-serving. I don't know if Jacob actually said that or if they were just you know, trying to make sure that they didn't get punished. And you remember the story about this. There was the favored son, Joseph, from Rachel, the one that he really loved. The other one he got hoodwinked into marrying, Leah, who had all the kids. So there's the favorite son, Joseph, and this is a pretty dysfunctional family. There is no mistaking that Jacob favors Joseph far more than the other ten boys and more than Benjamin, who caused Rachel's death in childbirth. It's Joseph. Joseph gets the famous coat of many colors. Another term for that is it is the coat of a prince. And this is a coat that signifies this is a boy that's never going to do any chores on the farm. He's going to be able to sit back and, you know, take it easy and do whatever he wants. And the brothers are naturally jealous of this. Not only that, but Joseph has a, a, an unnerving habit of interpreting his dreams for the brothers. And they're pretty self-serving too. He says to them, you know, I dreamed that your sheaves of wheat bowed down to my sheaf of wheat. And then I had another dream where the sun, the moon, the stars all bowed down to my star. Well, gee, wonder why they didn't feel warm and fuzzy towards him. The brothers did a terrible thing, but we have to recognize also that Joseph was a pampered, arrogant, arrogant twit, and he was bound to get something along the way. So dad sends him out to check on the boys, who were the ones doing the work out following the herds, Check on the boys, see what they need. He goes out there, they see him coming and go, oh good, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and be done with this stuff. But the older brother says, well, we don't want his blood on our hands. Let's, let's just throw him in a pit and then we'll sell him to the first slave caravan that comes along. And that's what they did. Joseph is taken to Egypt. He's sold to a merchant, Potiphar. The merchant sees potential in Joseph. He likes Joseph. The problem is, Potiphar's wife likes Joseph, really, really likes Joseph, if you know what I mean, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And so she makes advances to him, Joseph rebuffs those, she cries rape, and he's thrown into prison. Well, now he has an opportunity again to interpret some dreams there of the Pharaoh's baker and his butler. He interprets them correctly, and Pharaoh says, I need a guy like you, because I've had a disturbing dream about seven fat cows and seven lean cows. What do you make of that? Well, you're going to have tremendous harvest for seven years. You're going to have famine for seven years. Somebody needs to be in charge of collecting this grain and making sure there's warehousing for it and that you're prepared for the seven lean years. Well, how about you, Joseph? You appear to be a bright lad. Why not you? And so Joseph is put in charge of all of that. 
he becomes eventually second in command to Pharaoh. Then there, the famine reached um, Jacob and all the boys, and he sent them. He said, I hear they got grain in Egypt. Go down to Egypt and buy some grain. So they go down there. And lo and behold, they have to appear in front of Joseph. But they don't recognize him. Maybe Joseph has matured, or maybe it's the weird Egyptian eyeliner. I don't know. But they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And he toys with them for a little while. And then finally, he tearfully breaks down and says, Don't you know who it is? I'm Joseph, your brother, that you sold into slavery. And, and then the boys went, and their, their shorts tightened up pretty good at that point because they knew that he had the power of life and death over them and they were as good as dead if Joseph wanted him to but Joseph said no, 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 no I, I've, forg I've forgiven you for that and then there's one of the great saving statements of the Old Testament I love this one Joseph says you meant it for evil but God used it for good there's a lot of lessons we can get out of this story. It's a great story. And the first uh, lesson would be when you are literally in the pits, or if you are figuratively in the pits, God is with you. God is not going to just abandon you. He's going to be there with you in the pits. And secondly, when you are in the pits, God is already, already at work trying to bring something good out of this, like he did Joseph. He used it to save the nation of Israel, like he did Jesus when he was killed and he raised him from the dead. God is already at work when you're in the pits, in the midst of disaster and tragedy, already trying to bring something good out of this. So if you lose your job, for example, God is already at work trying to find you something you might like better, or at least something to get you by. If you get a divorce, that's a terrible thing. But God is already there helping you in that experience to work on maybe some of your character defects that led up to it, like your perfectionism or your, your resentments or self-centeredness or whatever. And maybe he's got somebody in mind for you that's actually better for you. God is already at work. And the third lesson is that forgiveness is extremely important. God forgives us, and we need to forgive other people. Now, the New Testament lesson, the Gospel lesson for today, talks about the same subject, as I said. It's all about forgiveness. It's right after the section on church discipline. And then Peter asks Jesus the question about forgiveness. He says, If my brother sins against me, how many, how many times should I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus says, No, 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 no. Not seven times. Seventy times seven, which is a ridiculous number. I mean, that's, when I heard seven times, I'm already thinking to myself, that's about five more than I'd want to do. Uh, Seventy times seven, which means unlimited kind of forgiveness. And then Jesus tells this parable about the, the, uh, the two uh, servants. Here's the parable. He said, there was a certain servant that owed his master 10,000 talents of silver. A talent is a weight of silver, a big chunk of silver. 10,000 talents of silver. And the master forgave him, released him from debt, and said, I'm writing it off. Just like that. And then there was a second servant that owed this servant 100 denarii. Now a denarius, one denarius is about the average wage for, the, for a, a laborer at that time. 
So about one day's wage. So 100 denarii would be about mm, three and a half months worth of wages. So he's got 100 denarii versus 10,000 talents of silver. And in order to get the impact of this, you kind of got to do the math. A talent of silver, one talent of silver was about 6,000 denarii. 10,000 talents of silver times 6,000 denarii per talent. If you do the math, that's about 60 million denarii. 100 denarii? 60 million denarii. And then the servants told the master what had happened, and so he threw that guy, he tortured him and threw him in prison, and said, that's enough of that. I forgave you all of this, and you can't let a hundred denarii go without throwing him in prison? Come on. Forgiveness is still a difficult thing, however. When we forgive somebody, we are giving up some control. We're giving up some leverage over people. You can no longer hold a club over somebody's head. When you, when you, you know, if you forgive them, it's done. You, you can't keep score. There's no scorekeeping on this to say, well, you did this, so now I'm, 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 I should be able to do that. No, that's all done. It's a relational thing. You're trying to restore relationship between you. And when you forgive, you let that go. It's a hard thing to do, but it's what we are called to do. Jesus was able to forgive even his, his enemies, and he gave us you know, the pattern for how to do this. But I think that if you are having trouble forgiving other people for what they do, it's almost always because you don't think you've been forgiven all that much. It's almost always because you look around and go, well, you know, I think I lead a little better life than most of these folks, so you know, I don't really need that much forgiveness. And if you don't think you've been forgiven very much, you're not very likely to forgive others. That's the rub. So when we look at 60 million <laughs> denarius, 100 denarius, if we don't see that 60 million part of what we, what we owe in our debt to God, we're not going to be very well, you know, forgive the little thing. We say that in the Lord's Prayer. We say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's what we're called to do. When we recognize how much we have been forgiven and we understand God's wildly generous grace, we do a lot better forgiving other people. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.